Welcome to the Church Basement. Today's topic is Mary Magdalene, the it girl of the Jesus story. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zentzalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. And once again, we have a special guest. Whoop, whoop. Hi, I'm Charlie. I'm a high school member of the congregation. Excellent. Welcome back. Hi. <laughs> okay, as promised, we brought Charlie back to talk about Mary Magdalene because she expressed a very strong interest in her when we taped our last podcast together. So I'm going to start by asking Charlie, when you realized how much you really liked Mary Magdalene or even knew who she was as a separate person in this entire story, having gone to church pretty much all your life? Um, I kind of started thinking that she was like, cool, when it was like, oh my gosh, wait, it was either it's just her, or it's like her and a group of her like, pals that Mm -hmm. would go. And didn't they like rap Jesus? Mm hmm. They did that. And I was like, oh, she's pretty cool. And then she was the one who like, told everyone it was like, by the way, he's back. And no one believed her because she's a woman. And we just do that. Not a fan want to make that clear but i just thought it was really cool she was like important in that and also just like whenever they like drew her she was always like really pretty and i was like oh my gosh (laughs) i want to be like her that's really cool i think i mentioned mary as apostle to the apostles to your crew when we Mm. were doing the classes outside of my office and really made a pretty big deal of Mary Magdalene, that she was the first storyteller. She was the first one sent to tell the story that Jesus sent to tell the story. And she's really awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think so. <laughs> so what do you know about her? Or what do you think you know about Mary Magdalene, Charlie? Well, before my research, honestly, I didn't know very much. And then thanks to the wonders of the internet, I know a lot. Mm-hmm. And... A lot of it is just like, oh, we like erased her and like kind of screwed some stuff up, but now it's everything's great. But I did know that she's kind of like represented as like the opposite, I guess, of Mary. Mm -hmm. And like the, oh, Mary is so great and she's a virgin and you should be like her because she's a virgin, as we talked about before. Mm -hmm. And then Mary Magdalene's like the, don't be like Mary Magdalene. She's a whore. Don't be a whore. That's bad. <laughs> but yeah. And so Mary Magdalene had been set as this like uh, foil, right? Sure. To mm. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus is this pure submissive icon in popular culture. Mary Magdalene as this kind of promiscuous, bold, bold figure. So when you did your research, did you find that she was a sex worker? What did you find out about her as you unraveled kind of these tales? Because as we do research about Mary, the mother of Jesus, we find out that she's not necessarily this submissive, sweet, passive, passive person that popular culture makes her out to be. And to be clear, we do not ascribe on this podcast that sex workers are morally wrong or bad people in any way, shape, or form. But do we find that Mary Magdalene was morally challenged or in any way, any of the things that would make us want to not be like Mary Magdalene? 
Um, no. <laughs> Barry is an icon, and the Pope was like, you know what? <laughs> we're going to make it harder for any woman to ever relate to anyone ever, and we're going to call her the same as the uh, prostitute that washed Jesus' face. Not face, his feet. And um, she was also the same person as the sister of Lazarus. Um, and then they were like, scratch that. We were wrong, but like a really long time afterwards. So the narrative was kind of already out. And so it was like, that's Mary. She's a prostitute. But she's also like a large part of like stories. And we don't talk about her that much because raising women out of the Bible is really common. <laughs> and because there's so many women who had similar names at the time, you are spot on. There are so many women who have the same kind of name. Like, is there any name in your age group that is super to come? In my age group, there were like a thousand of us Amandas. I know a lot of Jens. <laughs> Jennifer was a good one for my age group. I know a lot of like Sophia's and like, oh, there you go. Ella's like, whether it's like Isabella or like whatever. Yeah. So there are just names that like they have their day and there's a lot of them. When I was in elementary school, there would usually be at least three Amandas in my classroom. Nice. And so we would all be like Amanda N, Amanda L, Amanda Z, all that kind of thing. And so there are so many Marys in our scripture that it's really, really easy when you do want to erase a woman and they have similar names to begin to conflate, especially when you're dealing with an audience that is relying more on oral tradition than on being able to read and use critique to be able to suss things out on their own. So you mentioned several different figures, several different characters that got twisted up and braided up into kind of this amalgamation of a representation of Mary Magdalene in history. Yeah. And we've got the woman who anointed Jesus's feet. And for people who don't know, feet in scripture can often be representative of male genitalia. Huh. Really? really? I knew there was coded things, but I didn't think feet would be okay. coded for that. Yep. yep. Okay. Feet, that is actually a code for that. Now, whether or not that is what is going on in the Greek scripture for Jesus at that moment, I'm not 100% certain, but in the Hebrew scripture, very often, when they are talking about, for example, when Ruth is told to lie at the feet of this particular gentleman on the threshing floor on this celebratory time and she is to be there on the threshing floor and lie at his feet it is a very suggestive situation wow and so the coded language that is there would absolutely have been used to say that this woman who anointed jesus's feet with oil and used her hair to clean his feet could have been a sex worker. Now, there is so much conversation about whether or not Jesus ever had anything to do with any kind of stuff when it comes to sex or sexuality. And I don't want to get into that on this podcast. Okay. 
But when it comes to talking about sex workers and Mary Magdalene, this is the particular thread that gets woven into her story that is then used to discount and silence her voice. Even though we know that Jesus spent time with sex workers and loved them and treated them with respect. And so that is where that thread comes from. That is where that connection gets made for people because that is what that coded language meant. But that was never, that individual is never named. And that story comes out of the Gospel of Luke, the anointing with the hair. And then there are Mary and Martha from Bethany, who are the sisters of Lazarus. Mm -hmm. And they are good friends of Jesus. And it's kind of like, you know, everybody needs to have friends outside of work, (laughs) (laughs) right? And friends who have nothing to do with their day job. Mm -hmm. And Martha and Mary and Lazarus are like Jesus's buddies that are not disciples or apostles, but are like his friends that he stays at their house at Bethany whenever he's in town and hangs out with them. And these three are his personal friends. That's so cute. Right? And Mary and Martha call him on stuff. Mary in particular calls him on stuff. But Mary of Bethany is a very different woman than Mary Magdalene. She is a woman of means. They are a family of means, but Lazarus is alive. There is a man in the household. I mean, he dies, but he comes back, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) So, but there's specific story around them and they are their own household. But again, because of the name Mary, it's easy to get them twisty tied up with Mary Magdalene. So then there is this figure, Mary Magdalene. Who is she? Where does she come from? How do we figure out what to do with her? So Mary Magdalene is a woman who comes from the city of Magdala. She's a woman who has demons. And Jesus and the disciples cast demons out from her. She's a woman of great means. She may have been a widow. Somehow she had money and wealth. And she became a benefactor of his ministry after she was healed. And she was able to travel with them. She was able to help fund the ministry in a big way. She was present, as you've said, present at the crucifixion, present at the Last Supper, probably prepared and helped cook it, probably helped to serve it. She was present to help prepare the body. She was present the day of the resurrection. She was the first one present at the resurrection. She is in all four of the Gospels as the person who is present at the resurrection. And so she knew Mary, the mother of Jesus. She knew Jesus. This woman was amazing. And she would have been in the early church, very well known and quite intimidating because she would have been very well known. So in the same way that Peter was known In the same way that Jesus's brother was really well known, Mary Magdalene would have been very well known in the early church. She is an it girl. Like she is. Everyone knows her, you know? Yeah. 
She's got money, you know? Mm -hmm. Influence. She mm. has Jesus's ear. Okay. Absolutely. This begs the question, how has her portrayal changed over the years? Because she had to have been a pivotal part of the early church. So where did it all go terribly, terribly wrong for her story? Well, it didn't go wrong in the Orthodox Church. Oh, really? In the Orthodox tradition, she remains the apostle to the apostles. And you continue to see her treated with respect and with great dignity in their iconography. So in the Orthodox tradition, like the Theotokos, like Mary the Mother of God, you continue to have great respect for the Theotokos, great respect for the first apostle. And these two women are held with high regard in the Orthodox tradition. The great schism happens and we have this other pope. We need to establish kind of different dominance. We need to establish a different kind of flavor. Things start going a little kind of funky wonky. And then we have the Reformation. And keep in mind also, in the Orthodox tradition, priests are allowed to get married mm -hmm. and have families. With the schism, priests in the Roman Catholic tradition may not have families. So now we're getting weird about sex. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting <laughs> weird about women, right? And then we start getting into the Reformation and we start getting puritanical views and things go even stranger. And then we welcome to North America mm -hmm. and the evangelical culture and things get even stranger. So it all goes downhill to where we are in North America in the late 20th and early 21st centuries finding ways to reclaim and relearn about the Theotokos and the first apostle to the apostles and reclaim these women's voices and reclaim their role. And we have people like Charlie who are like, uh, yeah, Rebel Mary and It Girl Mary. <laughs> these are the kind of women I want to learn from. Well, I mean, after a while, like hearing about all these dudes is like fine and all, but like, I would like to be represented and like have some that I can be like, uh, she's cool. Absolutely. And you deserve that in your faith story. Mm hmm. And it's hard to find. It can Cause, be. Because like so many women don't have names or like, they're just like, they're such a small part that it's hard to be like, oh yeah, I know so much about her. Right. And when we do find these moments, I remember the first time that I caught that the first person in scripture to be called a prophet is a woman. And when I caught that, I was, I just grabbed it and I was fascinated. But there is again, so little about her, but I just held onto it with everything I had for a very, very, very long time. Okay. Now I got to ask uh -huh. When did you first learn about Mary Magdalene? What did I learn first about Mary Magdalene? I first learned about Mary Magdalene when I was in seminary, which again, isn't surprising because I didn't grow up in the faith. Mm -hmm. And so I learned most everything while I was in seminary. And I learned probably, did I learn the red egg story or... Man, growing up Catholic, you can pretty much guess what kind of stories I heard about Mary Magdalene. <laughs> 
Uh-oh. They, were, they were not redeeming. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I was given the grace of because I learned in seminary mm-hmm. after the year 2000 <laughs> that I really did get the chance to meet Mary Magdalene in this way of learning of her as an apostle to the apostles. Okay. And I was already in an environment where calling someone a whore or a sex worker was like, oh, cool, they're my friends. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't going to be an insult. It was going to be an invitation to get to know them better. (laughs) (laughs) And so it wasn't something that was going to be offsetting to me. Mm -hmm. So that, I think made a difference in how I got to know Mary Magdalene. But the icon, I think that I learned Mary Magdalene the most. It's a contemporary icon of her that is based on the Syrian peasant. And the original is hanging in Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. Okay. And it is Mary Magdalene with the red cloak, very much the Syrian girl portrait with her face turned towards you and then holding the egg. Mm. And Charlie, in your research, you found something out about this. Yeah. So if you ever wondered why Easter eggs are a thing, might be because of a really odd story, actually. I found this out and I kind of laughed. (laughs) Because to me, it's silly. But she had... um, When she went to go, I don't know the correct terms, but, you know, wrap Jesus up and kind of just check in on him because want to make sure Jesus is doing okay while he's not with us. And she brings a little basket of hard-boiled eggs. (laughs) And I can't remember exactly what happens, but they got, like, magicked by the Holy Spirit. And um, there's, like, two separate kind of things where they either were, like, rainbow And they were like, wow, (laughs) like you got every color or you just have red. The other option is just red. So there's multiple legends on this. That's a really interesting one. I hadn't actually heard that one before. So the other one is that Mary is called before a tribunal when she Mm. is telling the story of Jesus. And she is called to say, you know, these things cannot be true. What you're saying is impossible. No one can be raised from the dead and no one can be raised from the dead any more than this egg can change its color. And um, (laughs) she takes the egg and as she's holding it, it changes from white to bright scarlet red. So if you look at Orthodox Easter eggs, Mm -hmm. Pisanki mm-hmm. eggs, they are scarlet red. And they're beautiful, beautiful. Pisanki eggs are just gorgeous. But they are red, red, red eggs. So the icon that I have, it's actually the one of the first icons that I put up in my office when I move into an office, is I put up the icon of Julian of Norwich and Mary Magdalene, my two kind of guiding women for me my two patron women that I look to to guide my ministry, guide my own, actually not my ministry, more my own faith Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. my ministry. It's more about my own belief and my own belief in Jesus and figuring out how to practice my own faith more than how I live my faith out for other people or how I serve. It's more about 
how I come to hold on to and live my faith is I want to have the kind of faith that these women had. I want to cling to it in the way that these women did. And Julian of Norwich never could have guessed, right, that we would be living in the kind of time of illness like Julian did. But here we are. Mm -hmm. And Mary Magdalene, as a woman in faith, it is always a challenge to find your own voice and to find a way of having a voice and speaking your mind. And Mary Magdalene is an incredible inspiration to not be afraid to find your own voice and tell your story. St. Fatini, who is the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, is another one that I might want to look and see if I can ever find an icon for her. She might be another one that I need to add to my little trio. Mm -hmm. Love her. She's another fascinating woman in our scripture, for sure. Charlie, is there another aspect you want to talk about specifically? I don't know. I just think like with art and stuff, it's really interesting how we've kind of portrayed people. Because like, even though she's like this supposed like, oh, don't be like Mary Magdalene. She's still always like stunning, you know, which I feel like had the opposite effect on me that it should have had if that was the narrative we were going with. (laughs) Um, If you were trying to tell me to not be like her, you shouldn't have made her so gorgeous. (laughs) Yeah. Like you making her pretty is only making me like her more. And especially (laughs) living in the age that I live in now, I don't care if you represent her as a sex worker. She's still awesome. Exactly. Right. No, she is often portrayed as very physically beautiful. And I don't think that I've ever seen a portrayal of her that is not in some way physically stunning. Yeah. And it's also like with the other lady who beheaded the John. John the Baptist. Yeah. She's also always really hot and it's really annoying because I'm not supposed to like her. Well, no. I mean, it makes sense, though, because that was the point was that her we just did a podcast on her. And this is another one of those situations where how women used what they had to be able to gain their power and to find their way. This young woman was an attractive young woman. Mm. She was put into an untenable position. And Mm. there's a lot to be spoken of there about the abuse of power and how she was put into a position she shouldn't have been put into and was then used by her mother to get what her mother wanted in that situation. But the daughter who danced, Mm. much to the joy of all of the gathered men at that celebration, was very, very beautiful. So that art is going to depict her as being very, very beautiful. And you'll find Esther from the Hebrew scriptures will always be depicted as stunningly gorgeous. But that is exactly part of the entire plot line is that Esther literally won a beauty pageant in Mm. order to become the queen. So in a time where we live in an era of social media, TikTok and Instagram and filters that can make us really question what we actually look like. God love body dysmorphia. Right? It's a real thing. It's very real. It's super duper real. 
that has been going on for centuries. And we see it in our scripture with how women were valued for their beauty. And again, if we look to something like Esther, we see she went through days of beauty treatments Mm -hmm. in preparation for this beauty pageant. What is ancient filters other than days of beauty treatments? Yeah. And also like Mary Magdalene was like loaded. So like she's got the money to spend to look good. Bingo. She has the ability to pay for food. She has the ability to have the hair oil. She has the ability to buy the coal to be able to have the eyeliner, right? All of the different pieces. Fine fabrics and everything. Fine fabrics and all of that. Those kinds of pieces add up to what we translate as attractive and beautiful. And art depicts that. So Jesus had around him people of all different status. Jesus had people who had nothing, who were lepers and had absolutely nothing. And Jesus had people of incredible wealth, people who sold purple fabrics and scarlet fabrics, right? That's the highest of the high dye products, right? People from all realms. Mary Magdalene was a wealthy woman with wisdom and intelligence, education, capabilities, bankrolling the boys. (laughs) (laughs) Like imagine her like a Marilyn Monroe. Or, Mm. oh, oh, who's the 1940s actress who was the computer programmer? Ava Gabor? No. Hedy Lamarr. Hedy Lamarr, Mm -hmm. right? Mary Magdalene is like Hedy Lamarr. This woman who was this incredible Hollywood actress, had everything and all that going, and behind the scenes was like... Smart as hell, man. The woman who invented computers and cell phones basically cell mm-hmm. phones basically she's just amazing there's your mary magdalene <laughs> charlie anything else more art depictions this is just something that i found out when i was researching um yeah. there's also like this like other little like side story i don't really know where it is anywhere but in art there's like a little like pocket of it where she's depicted with a ton of hair Um, which I thought was really interesting because I think that's just another status symbol of the day would be my guess. Well, here's the thing. She, in this story, supposedly she goes off into the woods after Jesus died and like all of her clothes get ripped and like, she's just like completely buck naked. And so in order to make it not like she's out to the world, she either a has really really long hair that like covers everything like cousin it mm-hmm. maybe that's a better description for the second option the second option is that she gets hair everywhere like a wolf woman running with wolves yeah running she's just with chilling the in the forest but there's also a thing that it might be confused with um, saint mary of egypt because as we've mentioned before there's a lot of marys but so many marys yeah, those uh, those artworks are <laughs> kind of fun to look at. 
worth like checking out, right? And running down the line and seeing where these come from and why they are. And there's some phrases of women who run with wolves. I wonder Mm -hmm. if this is where some of this comes or what is the background on that, right? I don't know what the background of that is, but (laughs) now I'm totally curious. Mm -hmm. Does it tie back to some of this? And who is St. Mary of Egypt? And what does this have to do? Further topics yet to come. (laughs) Okay, that's all going to lead me to my last question. And we're going to start with Charlie. Which, and I'm guessing you may pick artwork, which is your favorite pop culture representation of Mary? Do you have one? Um, I don't. I'm not really in a, like, circle on my little internet feeds that I receive a lot of like church bible related content she comes up in a lot more pop culture than i think you realize you just haven't okay, well, quite not gotten directly there enough yet. for not me directly, to actually no. realize what's going on she's not currently trending on tiktok that's for sure no but i still think she's great so it would probably have to be art because i don't get a lot on the internet otherwise and i'm not just like watching documentaries about her if i'm not like i need to research so i don't look silly <laughs> so yeah i'll say art okay Pastor Amanda, do you have one? Favorite way to encounter Mary Magdalene? Mm -hmm. I do love the icon of her. It's in my office. I think I have two copies of it in my office. One next to me by my desk and one across the room that I can see as I'm sitting at my desk. I think that's probably the main spot that I encounter her is that particular icon. Oh, man. It's Dan Brown all the way for me. Really? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) What? No. Yep. Sorry, but it's 100% the Da Vinci Code. As having grown up Catholic and knowing only the terrible stories of Mary Magdalene. Mom. That one, I'm like, I'm 100% in on this. I can see that. Mm -hmm. I can totally see that. I think Da Vinci Code really did allow people the opportunity to imagine Mary in a different way. Yeah. Mm. And did give... Yeah, for the purpose of good for the first time in my having grown up Catholic understanding of her. Yeah. Da Vinci Code for For all of its faults. And I'm 100% there to tell you there's lots of faults. Right. And no pun intended. Mm -hmm. If you've read the Da Vinci Code. That the whole entire dream idea of Mary Magdalene and Jesus having children on this world. Oh, I was going to bring that up. I forgot yeah. to mention that. Well, it's, it's a little weird. It's in there and it's a part of Da Vinci Code and it's out in the world as a wondering and a pondering and who knows. And there's, okay, here's another pop culture reference that I have. There is a song by a very, very favorite musician of mine, Robert Schindel, and he has a song from Mary Magdalene's point of view that is really beautiful, really, really beautiful. And it also insinuates a very tender, loving relationship between her and Jesus Mm -hmm. and an intimate relationship between her and Jesus. Well, that's the center point of The Last Temptation of Christ, right? The movie from the 80s or 90s? I haven't seen it. I believe so. Spoiler alert for those who have not seen the movie yet. There you go. (laughs) There you go. And so however we want to take that, however we want to go down that line, I don't think it's a bad line to go down. It's not in our scripture, so we can't tell. We have recently, like within the years of my ministry, within the last decade, Mm -hmm. found a codex that people believe to be the gospel that Mary Magdalene has written. Mm -hmm. And so there's wondering about that. 
Charlie, you have, you're like, want to speak. Um, yeah, I mean, personal take on it. Can men and women just be friends, please, for once? <laughs> sure. <laughs> please. But also, for her scripture, I thought I had something on it. This German guy in mm-hmm. um, 1896 found a papyrus book written in Coptic. It's said to be like her thing. I'm blanking on the name. But also with the whole like Jesus and Mary um, thing, there's a 16th century document called the um, story of Joseph and Azeneth. And the author of this one book that is like really keen on thinking that they're together. Everyone has been shipping people for centuries. Oh, yeah. This is just (laughs) an ancient ship, right? And who knows whether the ship actually sailed or not. And you're right. Mary's gospel was found a while back. Good catch. It was the Judas gospel that was found more recently that is still being researched. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's wondering about it. The Da Vinci Code certainly hyped it. Absolutely. (laughs) In the modern mind, for sure. I mean, I can't blame the people who were like, oh, that would be like so cute. Because like if I was like a little church girl in, um, I don't know, medieval Europe and I'm listening to this stuff, I would be bored because life sounds horrible back then. But like I would just be like, oh, my God, it would be so cute. Or like I don't blame anyone, but also I disagree. But that's just me personally. Not your ship. Not my ship. Yeah, no. Excellent. Well, thank you both for taking some time to talk about Mary Magdalene on the podcast. And I look forward to hopefully sitting down with you both again someday on another topic. And I hope to get to do the same as well. Thank you for having me. Until we are back in your ears again, thank you so much for joining us all. It has been a wonderful time talking about Mary Magdalene today. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we would love to hear from you. You can look back at our previous topics in our Spotify or iTunes library or check out our website, centralportland.org, and find our page there. And you can reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org to reach us directly. Until you hear from us again, remember, God loves you no matter what.